Hello and welcome to Cancria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And uh, Sebastian would be here if he was able to talk. Our longtime co-host has uh, lost his voice after struggling with a little bit of a uh, headache recently as well. So uh, that is uh, a little unfortunate. We're obviously wishing him the speediest recovery. And uh, hopefully he will be able to join us uh, next week. Now, for some of our listeners, uh, you may be aware that we are only a little bit obsessed with Eurovision. And uh, no spoilers, we have not yet seen it. Uh, myself and Sebastian are meeting up this weekend with uh, and having a bit of a delayed Eurovision party. So if you wanted to get all of the details on what is the most viewed Eurovision in the competition's history. Uh, we'll be giving that and all of the details in next week's show. Uh, coming up a little later, I will be playing one track uh, from the Swiss entry that uh, didn't do so well, but what we know is that there are a lot of songs that come out that when performed, as I'm sure you all know, sometimes the performance of a song and the recording of a song uh, hit different. And uh, the, this particular track by the uh, Swiss uh, entry uh, just sounds great and I think has an excellent message. So we will be keeping an eye out on that. Uh, but we do have at least one interview lined up today. We uh, discuss with the curator and one of the artists behind Fractured Bodies, an exhibit being held at the Glad Day Bookstore. Glad Day Bookstore being an historic location within... Uh, the uh, within downtown Toronto in the gay village and uh, we are excited to have a conversation about that but first of all let's act we've we discovered some some good news and uh, I do try to share good news if and when we when we find it uh, I'm going to start it off with some really interesting news we are waiting to see from the Toronto Pride and the other prides the big major prides across Canada as to who they are making their grand marshals uh, but we were pleasantly surprised to see that the Los Angeles uh, Pride have announced their Grand Marshals. Now, I don't know if any of you are planning to go to LA, but they will have made posthumously Leslie Jordan, the late Leslie Jordan, uh, one of their Grand Marshals, along with Margaret Cho, who is still with us, thankfully, and the ACLU uh, are also their Grand Marshals. Uh, so between the three of them, uh, that's uh, pretty exciting news. Like I said, we're going to be keeping an eye out as we start to gear towards uh, what is really Pride season. Uh, I'm sure that uh, folks know that Pride happens uh, at different times depending on where you are. Uh, in Canada, there's a bit of a polite agreement between the major cities that they tend not to hold their Pride celebrations on the same weekend as each other, offering... Uh, offering people in their community an opportunity to be able to celebrate uh, without having to choose between Montreal or Toronto or Ottawa or Vancouver. Uh, I suspect that one's maybe not the most difficult choice. But the big Pride festivals across the country do tend to land at different times. And uh, obviously, they all generally avoid Canada Day and the big other uh, times in the schedule. But what is surely to be an immensely entertaining, hopefully very sunny, very celebratory, very rainbow occasions 
uh, across the country. We will be, we will be uh, keeping an eye out. And I'm sorry about that. My my arm hit the space bar and restarted our theme tune. So I've got to be careful where I put my arm. This is live radio. I am in the studio accidentally turning things on as we speak. Uh, so I'll be uh, I'll be a little bit more careful moving forward. Um, we talked before about how the Canadian uh, uh, blood services, the Canada blood services from Hema Quebec, came to an agreement where they are now accepting blood donations, and I have done for quite a few months now, uh, from men that have sex with men, uh, and they're testing and they're asking questions based on uh, risk and behaviours that are happening. So instead of a blanket ban across all gay men it is now based on what is your actual risk to um to the blood supply and i bring this up because the food and drug administration in the united states uh, has also uh, been lifting their restrictions with new rules taking effect on the 11th of may so this just passed this this just passed thursday um essentially meaning that uh, it's uh, yet again that's another uh, behavior-based uh, approach to it as well. Uh, in other U.S. news, we saw that the Supreme Court, uh, they make a lot of decisions in the Supreme Court. Some of them are big, massive decisions, and some of them are just procedural. But there was an interesting decision that raised a lot of eyebrows at the U.S. Supreme Court, and it's about Estrella Santos Zakaria. Now, she's a Guatemalan trans woman who is fighting against deportation, claiming that she would fierce, uh, face persecution in Guatemala if uh, she was deported. Now, what was really interesting in this decision is that the justices... Uh, Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, as well as uh, the Conservative Justice Samuel Alito, uh, both used her preferred name, both used her preferred uh, pronoun. Uh, they did not dead name the, uh, the, the lady in the case. And uh, it stands in stark contrast to a large number of stories in the United States which are very, very anti-trans. Uh, including a range of new legislation. Just to give you a, a feeling of what I'm referring to here, Kelly Croft, who is running for the Kentucky governorship uh, in uh, and the Republican nomination for that role, has uh, recently said in the town hall, and I quote, we will not have transgenders in our school system. Uh, how she plans to remove trans people from schools, bearing in mind that this would be children uh, was not uh, that detail was not uh, not phrased out but it is certainly concerning that there is a huge uh, anti-trans push so when institutions like the supreme court uh, argue cases on their merits use preferred pronouns use the gender uh, markers that have been indicated uh, it is it speaks absolute volumes uh, to everybody involved now uh, earlier i'd mentioned that there was a Eurovision, I'm pretty sure it was a Eurovision song that uh, I really liked. I think the reason why I bring this up is uh, very often these things, I mean, first of all, Eurovision songs are sometimes utterly ridiculous. Uh, but it is also a very much a political venue, and uh, there's a, very often at least a couple of songs that uh, come up. Uh, this one called Water Gun by Remo Ferrer. 
was a great track, a great um, submission from Switzerland, and I think really speaks to a bit of an anti-war sentiment that is rising in uh, in the U.S. in uh, in Europe in particular, especially following the Russian invasion of. Uh, the Ukraine. So this was their entry. I don't think it did particularly well, um, but I think it might be one of those tracks that sort of hang on in our sort of collective memory as we move forward. And after that, we will be jumping to um, Laughing uh, by the Don River. So an openly uh, gay-identified musician based in Toronto. Uh, with the moniker, obviously, folks here are familiar with the Donovan Valley River, and uh, we will be listening to Laughing, which is the new track uh, from from Don River following the Water Gun by Remo Ferrer. And uh, after that, we will be jumping into the interview I did earlier on uh, in the week with the team behind Fractured Bodies, and uh, we will be back just after this. Oh, we'll try that again. It seems like we have uh, gone to the wrong room. Let me fix that again. And here we go. Like I said, we'll be back just after this. And we were boys who play pretend Army tanks and army men Hide and see Grow to be the kings we train Where do we go? We're standing on the front line Where do we go? We go I don't wanna be a soldier, soldier I don't wanna have to play with real blood We ain't playing now Breaking rules, nothing hurts when you're bulletproof. I remember, yes, I do, I do.
Transcontinental liners servicing the craters of Mars. The engines run hot, the conductor is drunk on ambition she found in the bars. Yeah. 
Hello and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. This is one of the interviews that we mentioned at the top of the hour as we introduced today's show. Coming up a little later, I believe, we are going to be talking about uh, Pride at Work and their other things. But until now, we are touching on an exhibit that is coming to the incredibly pivotal and historical Glad Day bookstore. And I am thrilled to be joined by... Jem Nasrallah, who is the one of the artists and one of the curators behind the exhibit, as well as another one of the artists, Lin Nian. Thank you so much for joining me today as we discuss fractured bodies. Great. Fragmented body, fragmented body. <laughs> yes. That's absolutely true. Thank you. Excellent. Actually, I did an interview last week, uh, two weeks ago, with the great team behind the documentary, A Happy Man. Uh, and I spent the first five minutes referring to it as a handsome man. So this is <laughs> very much, very much in keeping with uh, the Freudian slips that uh, that tend to happen a lot. So yeah, this. Let's start off with what is this exhibit, fragmented body, at the Glad Day Bookstore in downtown Toronto. So for folks who live in the city in the GTA or are visiting Toronto from May 18th through to June 7th, what can they expect to see uh, of this exhibit uh, in that space? Sure. Um, the exhibition is part of the Contact Photography Festival's uh, open call programming. So it's all photo-based uh, artwork. Um, it's not very traditional artwork, though. We all uh, work in analog and we work in alternative or historical processes as well. Um, so you'll see, for example, some cyanotype um, in the show. Actually, a lot of us really love cyanotypes. So you'll see quite a bit of it. Um, and the exhibition itself is... It was born from um, several of us in the exhibition uh, attend SPOW, and I just realized that a lot of our themes that we were speaking about through our artwork were very similar. Um, and a lot of it had to do with kind of reclaiming your body and reclaiming your relationship with your body. So that's really where the, uh, the exhibition started. And that's what we try to kind of parse out in this exhibition is, you know, we're not all at the, you know, we're not all at the best relationship with our bodies, but this is what we're working towards, um, especially after, you know, many of us have had childhoods, if we've dealt with uh, abuse or if we've dealt with assault or, you know, other kinds of trauma it's it's very difficult to have a healthy relationship with your body so that's really what this this exhibition is about it's certainly because i i've i've had the pleasure of seeing some of the the pieces uh in advance i think they were uh, were on your on your uh, website and as a collection it really does give pause and i think it does uh so you know encourage people to think i mean it's I think as a collection, it's certainly, at least to me as, you know, Joe Schmo off the street, I think it becomes evident that that title of fragmented or fragmentation and that disconnect is certainly evident in the, in the, in the pieces uh, and the collection as a whole. You mentioned in, in the bio for the, for the exhibit that it's about the artist's relationship to their body. So did you, let me add this. 
seven of you seven artists yes yes so did you did all of you independently have to sit and think okay how do i how do i visualize my body and my relate my relationship with my body and, and then you know maybe we can dive in on specifically each of you who are on the call here as to how you approached uh that specific question so my kind of it it'll sound a little bit corny but my kind of journey um towards you know, loving my body has been a very long and arduous process, um, which really began with unlearning uh, a lot of misogyny, um, self, you know, internalized misogyny, um, as well as eventually realizing that I'm non-binary, which was a, you know, that a, a lifelong journey. Um, so I kind of went into SPA wanting to, which sorry, is the School of Photographic Arts in Ottawa. Um, I'm going to say SPA a lot. So that's um, the school we attended. Um, I went into SPA knowing that I really wanted to explore um, my relationship with my body, especially since as a fat person and as a queer person and as a trans person, um, my body isn't really something that I'm seeing all over the place. Um, especially uh, in Ottawa, it's a very small arts community in a lot of ways. Um, so I just knew uh, right away that that's something that I really wanted to explore in my artwork. Um, and it's, since it's been ongoing for two years, I thought this would be, um, you know, the perfect topic for it's my first exhibition out of school. So <laughs> for me, it, it, yeah, it just worked out that that was exactly what I wanted to be doing. What about yourself, Lynn, when you were presented with that that, that uh, core theme and that uh, that ask for how do you explore your relationship to your body in a, in a very public way? I mean, it's it's up on the wall. You know, how did you approach uh, approach that? Uh, so similar to Jem, uh, I've been exploring that for a while now and not only through photography but through dance so before i uh, started my uh, photographic practice i did a lot of dance um, and that really helped me reconnect with my body after um, sexual assault and um, just the practice of dance and um, the re repetition, the connection to music, the attention to detail, the way that I had to sit in stillness with my body um, and really pay attention to the different parts of my body. That's where it first started um, in an arts practice. And I've been exploring other ways of showing that um, through photographs um, before this exhibition through some of my still life works with flowers. So for me, this has been an ongoing conversation and I've been really inspired by Jem and the other artists in the show um, because they push um, photographic medium in so many different ways like yes we mentioned cyanotype but uh liliana's doing um dry plate historical process um and tyler is doing a lot of long exposure movement and capturing the movement in one long shot so from seeing their work i 
did some experimentation of my own for this exhibition. And I'm so glad that everything's coming together um, for this exhibition. One of the, in the description for this exhibition, you mentioned the intent to create moments of empathy and connection between the person viewing the artwork and the artist themselves. Because of course, a lot of these photos seem to be uh, self-portraiture. And my instinct is that you, I, I think you've done that. I think as a group collectively, you've certainly, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you, you give pause. Looking at that artwork, um, it makes me think of this morning I was getting dressed and there's a massive full length mirror. And, uh, you know, I generally uh, avoid it until I am like fully in my outfit. <laughs> I'm like, you know, right. But I think that so many of us uh, across our listening audience have these moments where body confidence and connection to our body just isn't where it needs to be. And it isn't exclusive to folks who maybe are carrying a, a you know a bit of extra weight, myself included, but also, you know, in the gay community, we obviously have disproportionate rates of anorexia and, and also bigorexia, people who are excessively, you know, up the other other end of the scale. So I think that there is something incredibly human here about this exhibit. Is that humanity and that sort of universal moment of of pause something that you were trying to to achieve with this exhibit? Uh, yes, and thank you um, for saying that. It's, that's definitely um, in order to create kind of this um, this empathy between you know us artists and the viewers, or the viewers and themselves, or you know the viewers and the person next to them. Um, I think the number one thing is showing that humanity, um, kind of, you know, putting a face to something that maybe someone has not put a face to before, and then it, it just was not that important to them. Um, but yeah, showing the humanity is really what I'm going for. And I think the representation doesn't hurt either. Um, being able to see someone who maybe looks a little bit like you up on a wall is important. Um, you know, my images are, I'm, I'm still not where I want to be in terms of the relationship with my body. And, you know, I'm sitting with those images so I can tell that, but I don't know that everyone else knows exactly, you know, what my issues are. And so they're able to maybe um, project their own or make of it what they will. Um, yeah, it, it really is showing that that shared humanity between us yeah i think as artists all we can really do is be honest and share a part of ourselves and hope that um someone else will connect to that and feel less lonely when they're like hey you know they're experiencing body dysmorphia too hey like when they look at themselves in the mirror or through self-portraiture they see multiples of themselves or that they see different versions of themselves and it's hard to reconcile that and that's what, what we were hoping to create i think I, I we can't ignore the fact that you know the the you know the unpaid actor in the room is is literally the room here with this exhibit 
And what I mean by that is this exhibit is being held at the Glad Day bookstore, which is, you know, an iconic historical bookstore in the village in Toronto. But most importantly, is one of the go-to places that is predominantly always queer. You know, that is a space that has been carved out for our community to see themselves and, and, and gather. And, and, you know, really what I'm saying is, in that space, we have a community. The, the the audience that are most likely to be in there is an audience that has certainly experienced at disproportionate rates body dysmorphia and uh, some of these other themes that you're you're touching on. How much were you thinking about that audience when you put together this exhibit? Um, so I only approached, uh, businesses that were queer owned. <laughs> um, so it was very, um, deliberate. Uh, I didn't know which, um, business would say, you know, yes in the end, but Glad Day was very, very open and, um, happy to work with us and have an exhibit up. Um, we're not from Toronto, so I didn't really know you know, much of the history of Glad Day. Um, but once I started looking into them, I really love that they are constantly hosting events. Um, people obviously adore going there and they love using the space, um, which actually we kind of uh, accounted for in this exhibition. We're having everything printed on a wallpaper material so that you know whoever's dancing can still push up against the wall brush up against the wall they're not being poked in the back by anything um so they can everyone can still use that space you know as expected um i i, I that was very important to me i wanted everyone to still be able to use you know dance up on the wall do whatever they were doing before without the artwork taking away from it mm -hmm. I think that there are there are very few spaces uh, across all of Canada where you walk to the room and the queer identity is in the majority. You know, mm -hmm. as a as a casual business on the street, you yeah. know, and I think that they are they are certainly limited. So it's it's good to good to uh, to have accounted for that. What I was able to see was that the vast majority, if not all of the artists are queer identified. And I'm just wondering, because, you know, queer folks are like, you know, not just herding cats, but, you know, herding <laughs> deaf and blind cats. Um, but the question I have for you is how were you able to not only find seven queer identified artists that are uh, able to speak to this theme, but also seven artists who had the confidence, the sort of self-confidence to be able to explore this incredibly vulnerable topic uh, in this exhibit. Because I imagine like, you know, this exhibit is asking a lot of the artists, uh, was that a challenge to 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 pull together? And, and maybe Lane, if you can touch on uh, when, you know, when you were approached, uh, uh, you know, your perspective of that particular onboarding for this exhibit that'd be great can i can i start for this sure. one okay um so it happened very organically because we are all uh in school together at spow and we've been 
critiquing and looking at each other's works and talking to each other outside of school. Um, and not all of the artists are queer identified, but most of them are. Um, so we just, you know, one day Jem, Jem's kind of the gang leader and they were like, hey, would it be cool if we did this exhibition in Toronto for a contact? And um, yeah, I was like, of course, yes, I'll, I'll do anything to uh, help you with this. <laughs> Yeah, we're very lucky right like we all know each other from SPAO <laughs> yeah or friend of a friend from or SPAO friend, yeah yeah yes. exactly yeah we got really lucky I think excellent and I think that 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 speaks to uh just community you know what I mean and I think that that's that's yeah. probably uh uh strongly reflected um I was asked by a friend of mine who's been working with you on this to mention the zine uh, would you tell me about that. What's what's a zine, and and why would our listening audience potentially be interested in it? So a zine is a small booklet uh, with uh, pictures and poetry. Um, some of the pictures were uh, produced for the exhibition, but weren't selected to be put on the wall, so they're included in the zine. And it's uh, it's a little experience in of itself. It's a little piece that you can take with you for $10 and the proceeds are going to help us fund this exhibition. Thank you. Um, and it's just a cute little reminder of how beautiful we are, even though it could be really hard sometimes. Yeah, and there's uh, like expanded writing in the zine. So if if the exhibition speaks to you, you might find a little bit more in there um, that like maybe you can you know sit with ponder on think about um because um Emily which who is the co-curator and I um wrote a little bit more for that zine and we have some great um poems in there as well excellent well for anyone interested in finding out more about this exhibition it is going to be at the glad day bookshop which is at 499 church street in downtown toronto and uh, that will be running from May the 18th through to June the 7th. Uh, if you're in the city on May 20th, uh, 3 to 7, there is an opening reception. Um, I will try and stop by if I'm uh, also here in the city at that same time. Um, I think that's next week, actually, if I, yes. if I recall. <laughs> yes, that's next um, weekend. <laughs> so we will uh, hopefully see folks there. I want to thank uh, Jem and Lynn so much for joining me and sharing with me and our listeners uh, some of the thinking uh, behind this exhibit. And we certainly hope everyone goes to check it out. Thank you. Thank so you, much. Luke. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Something
Welcome back to Cangre, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, our longtime co-host Sebastian Plant is uh, uh, feeling a little under the weather and has lost his voice, uh, which is rather a difficult position to be in as a radio DJ. So uh, we're wishing him a speedy recovery, and we have dispatched honey and chamomile tea uh, on, on the, the fastest delivery method possible. So hopefully he will be right as rain for our show next week as we discuss, uh, among many things, uh, we will be discussing uh, the uh, Eurovision Song Contest a week late. Uh, we do realize that some of you may have watched it uh, or may have heard about it, uh, but this is an annual tradition for us, and we are very excited to, uh, uh, to have that conversation. Now, earlier we played some great tracks by openly LGBTQ identified musicians including Cupid's Heart with their track Safe brand new releases from all of our Canadian artists today so that was Laughing by Don River brand new release uh, Cupid's uh, Safe by Cupid's Heart and the incredibly talented Vivek Schreier uh, and Baby You're Projecting uh, recently just released as well so all of these amazing tracks a little later we'll be playing Brooklyn Duran's Wasted My Twenties uh, sometimes I feel a bit like that was the case for myself as well um, but before then we are very excited to share more good news I am just oh I'm thrilled that uh, we are able to find and to share uh, excellent news that happens uh, around the world uh, because in the world of of LGBTQ content, uh, it really is, isn't always uh, particularly uh, sunny and bright uh, in terms of what's happening around the world. Well, let's kick it off with Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka, there was a bill by the MP Premnath uh, Dolawat, who is looking to essentially decriminalize homosexuality. Now, whether or not that was possible in Sri Lanka, uh, had to go to the Supreme Court, and the Sri Lankan Supreme Court has decided that the private member's bill would not be unconstitutional, uh, meaning that it is possible that uh, if introduced and if passed, uh, that it would not uh, face a constitutionality challenge. Uh, there. Now, the law in particular relates back, you know, dates all the way back to British rule in Sri Lanka, this is uh, one of many countries that are uh, that are still holding on to, or rather, that are still suffering from um, Canadian, uh, sorry, uh, old British uh, laws uh, such as this. Um, but yeah, so that was great news out of Sri Lanka. We'll see what happens next. The opposition parties apparently have not necessarily uh, indicated their, their enthusiastic uh, support for this bill. Um, but we are crossing fingers 
also in the Supreme Court, also in Southeast Asia, Nepal has decided uh, in a recent case that they will be legalizing same-sex marriage. Uh, this is a huge decision. It's a landmark decision for uh, Nepal, making it one of the first uh, countries in Southeast Asia to uh, legalize same-sex marriage. So this is excellent news. I believe there's also a landmark bill relatively recently in Thailand. Pressure is mounting in India to uh, to address the equality situation there as well. Um, in other news, in Europe, the ILGA, which is the International League Against... Oh, I forget what the ILGA's exact exact acronym uh, is, but uh, essentially they have released their big report on uh, the 47 countries in the EU and how they shape up in terms of different LGBTQ rights. Uh, so the ILGA, I'm pretty sure I got that right the first time, um, they are, they've released the list. Uh, there are some pretty uh, surprises, uh, Malta remains at the top of the list. Uh, what they have is they have a whole swath of um, uh, uh, criteria that they look at, different, piece of, different pieces of legislation to support, for example, employment, access to health care. Um, a whole bunch of countries like Spain uh, just skyrocketed up, the, up their chart because of the self-identity law uh, for trans folks. So, yeah, there, is, uh, there are a few uh, in there. Uh, the UK slipping down to 11th place. Uh, on this chart, uh, Spain is now right at uh, right at the top. Um, yeah, so it's definitely you know definitely some big uh, some big ones. But Spain did jump six places in one year by introducing the uh, the uh, self identification for gender identity legislation. Uh, we also saw similar moves in uh, Belgium, Iceland, and Moldova. Also introducing uh, protections. Moldova in Europe actually introduced uh, sexual and gender, sexual orientation and gender identity has been better covered in employment law, education law, and uh, anti-hate speech laws. Uh, Switzerland has introduced uh, allowing medically assisted insemination for couples. So this really, this this annual report that uh, the ILGA does is an excellent. Uh, Oh, Rainbow Europe is an excellent barometer of how the continent is doing on LGBTQ rights uh, as a as a whole. Now there are some that continue to do not particularly well. Um, Azerbaijan and Turkey and Armenia collectively have two percent, four percent, and nine percent. Um, I believe that Russia is sitting there at uh, eight or nine percent as well. Certainly not uh, not doing particularly. Well, but one of the surprises for me was Hungary. We took a look at Hungary's score, and they actually ended up, I think, with uh, with thirty five or twenty five. Scoring effectively better than places like Italy. And a lot of that, although we've spoken a lot about the anti-gay laws and legislations in Hungary, they have an awful lot of legacy legislation from previous governments protecting uh, LGBTQ employment, protecting uh, discrimination against uh, based on sexual orientation. And thankfully, a lot of those those pieces of legislation have not been repealed uh, effectively offering better protection than places like Russia or Turkey or even the Ukraine, which scored 20% compared to uh, 
uh, Hungary is thirty percent. Now, if you're kind of curious, thinking how you know how are they reaching these these conclusions for all of these different you know countries? How do you compare apples to you know apples and oranges? Uh, they are looking at everything from does the constitution protect uh, organizations? Is the sale of trade and good? Is access to healthcare there? Is there a, a ban on conversion therapy? Uh, is there a plan from the government on how to improve equality? Uh, you know, is there marriage equality? Can you have joint adoption? Can you have second parent adoption? All the way through to are the hate crime laws? Is there hate speech laws? Uh, is there an existence of legal measures for gender recognition and uh, so on? Is there uh, legislation against the unilateral uh, use of medical interventions against intersex people. You know, all of these things, they have about 70-odd uh, different things that they look at, uh, including asylum law and the whole shebang, and every country is ranked on whether or not they have that in place and uh, then scored out of 100, essentially. So, as I mentioned earlier, the UK, um, not doing as well as you would maybe hope, but only 53%, not fantastic. You compare that to somewhere like uh, France, uh, which has 63% of Germany, 55%, lots of places to grow. I think with the amount of international tourism and the amount of money available for tourism, I suspect that Malta is going to continue to have a lot of LGBTQ dollars, a lot of the pink dollars heading to Malta uh, to support their tourism there. And, uh, you know, maybe the UK will not do as well. Um, another very gay news and distinctly gay news, Grinder was in the news uh, for maybe not the worst reason this year. Uh, we have talked about uh, a legal case against Grinder by an accusation from a, I believe it was a new Brunswick uh, teen who accused the app of not introducing sufficient protections uh, to prevent um, uh, older people targeting the underage users of the app or also having enough prohibitions in place to prevent underage use of the app. Grinder is a, uh, an LGBT, a particularly gay male hookup app. Uh, anyway, they have now launched a web service. It seems like the 2000s have called and access to a website version of the app has been answered and uh, they've launched that as well. Now, uh, if you've been looking for an interesting read, I've recently just finished Red, White and Royal Blue, a absolutely fantastic book. Um, it may have been uh, my, my interest was piqued as the story centers behind the first son, i.e. the son of the president and a prince of England and uh, in a bit of a romance novel uh, that unfolds. Anyway, Prime Video picked up the rights to this particular book that has sold incredibly well, and uh, they just released that it will be having an R rating. Now, anyone who's read the book might realize that that's probably not uh, not an unlikely scenario, given what happens uh, in in the books. Uh, Casey McQuiston's iconic, fantastic New York best-selling book, Red, White, and Royal Blue, is a pleasure to read, and uh, definitely recommend it for anyone who's looking for just some some light. Uh, light, easy reading. Uh, that's the one of the key things. Um, 
In other, other news, the World Health Organization has declared that the Mpox virus, so uh, the, uh, what was commonly referred at the start as the monkeypox virus, but then uh, was uh, rebranded by the World Health Organization, um, has been broadly brought under control. Uh, we looked into it and we double-checked Canada's numbers. Although the Health Canada hasn't updated these in a couple of weeks, it is worth noting that between the 10th of March and the 11th of April, there was a grand total of just one case. Uh, and that was one case on the 10th of March and then another one single case of the Mpox virus on the 11th of April. Uh, yet again, myself and Sebastian spoke before about how a lot of that boils down to the dedication and the proactive uh, soliciting for the the vaccine amongst the LGBT community in Canada. We realized that this was a, a very uh, dangerous virus that was particularly prevalent in the gay community and the vaccination rates for young, uh, for Canadian men um, who uh, who are gay identified was very very high and it definitely stumped the uh, new infections but one in about two and a half months is excellent the world health organization believes that as a whole across the world it is now under control so uh, congratulations everyone who took their own health and the health of the community uh, to heart and proactively intervened to uh, to uh, address that we are going to be jumping in a few minutes to the last track, which is going to be Brooklyn Duran's Wasted My Twenties. And, uh, yeah, we're very excited uh, about that. Uh, if you're interested in the uh, ILGA report or the Rainbow Europe report, as I mentioned earlier, to see where to go travel next, please do so. I am anxiously waiting to see if any Canadian carriers pick up the Kylie Minogue-fronted I Kissed a Boy uh, reality TV show that uh, has just launched in the UK. Believe it or not, it's the first gay dating show on major a major television network in the UK. Kiss the Boy, it's done extremely well. People are very excited about it. Uh, unfortunately, I am uh, all, a, all a feather to see what if it uh, gets picked up here and who does pick it up. But that's all for now. Thank you so much to uh, the folks that we interviewed earlier. We did reach out to Pride Network and we weren't able to secure the interview in time for today's show. We're hoping that we will have that secured in time for next week. Uh, and then hopefully that will complement our Eurovision coverage. Next up is Brooklyn Duran's Wasted My Twenties. I've been Luke Smith, and thank you for listening. A broken heart in an empty bar Playing love songs, baby Too bad they'll never be about you Now Three beers in the parking lot We were smoking pot that the door guy gave me I guess I'm chasing dreams without you
Some habits just don't 